The first lesson, which will also be the text for the sermon, is from the book of Acts, chapter 12. About that time, King Herod laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter during the days of unleavened bread. After arresting Peter, Herod put him in prison and handed him over to four squads of four soldiers each to guard him. Herod intended to bring him before the people for trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church earnestly offered up prayer to God for him. The very night before Herod was going to bring him out for trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. He was bound with two chains while sentries were in front of the door guarding the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord stood near him and a light shone in the cell. The angel woke Peter up by striking him on the side and said, Quick, get up. The chains fell from his wrists. Then the angel said to him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. So he did so. Then the angel told him, Put on your cloak and follow me. Peter went out following the angel, but he did not realize that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed through the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city. It opened all by itself for them. They went outside, walked down one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from everything the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who is also called Mark. Many had gathered there and were praying. When Peter knocked at the entrance gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice and was so overjoyed, she did not open the gate. Instead, she ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. They told her, you're out of your mind. But she kept on insisting it was so, and they started saying, it's his angel. Meanwhile, Peter kept on knocking. When they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned to them with his hand to be silent and described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. He said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he left and went on to another place. At daybreak, there was no small commotion among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. After Herod searched for him and did not find him, he questioned the guards and ordered that they be executed. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Peter's prison break fills Acts chapter 12 with amazing things. After Herod arrests Peter and plans a public, crowd-pleasing execution, he hands Peter over to a grand total of 16 soldiers to guard him in prison. Normally, you could call that overkill. In this case, it is not enough because in the middle of the night, the Lord breaks Peter out of prison by sending an angel. The angel jabs him in the side to wake him up, and then Peter's chains just sort of fall off. They come to the iron gate that has them locked in, and it just sort of opens by itself, and then they are out in the city and into the clear. A lot of amazing events in 19 verses. And to me, there is one that stands out above the rest. 
Now, chains falling off and gates opening up unassisted, that's miraculous, sort of amazing by default, by definition, right? But to me, the most amazing thing that happens in Acts chapter 12 is what Peter does when he gets out of prison. Because consider, where did Peter just get out of? Prison and death row at that. Because he's human, where is the last place Peter would ever want to go again for the rest of his life? Probably prison and death row. What was he in for? Preaching the word of God for a Christian church. So logically, if Peter wants to remain free and alive, where should he never go again for the rest of his life? And if he wants to remain free and alive, what is the one activity that Peter should never engage in again for the rest of his life? Preaching the word of God. And yet, after the angel leaves Peter and gives him no instructions about where to go and what to do next, Peter has to decide for himself, where do I go now? What do I do? Where does he go? To a church, and not just any church, but a church where the people on the inside seem to struggle quite a bit at letting people in. So the fugitive from death row is left out on the street, knocking on the door, creating a scene. And after Peter reports to the people in that church what has happened, what does he do next? Does he say, now I'm going to need to hide in your basement for a few weeks until this blows over. He's right back out the door to go to another place and continue preaching the word of God. To say the least, Peter is going to great lengths to spread the gospel of Christ. To go right back to the activity that you nearly just died for defies human logic, human fear, and just overall human nature in general. It is almost unbelievable what St. Peter does in this story. It is almost incredible that he would go right back to the thing that almost cost him his life, and by the way, one day will cost, his, cost him his life. It's almost impossible to believe, but not quite. Not if you understand what that message meant to St. Peter. The message of God's grace and forgiveness in Christ meant everything to St. Peter because he had personally experienced the value of God's grace and forgiveness in Christ. This was a man who definitely needed it. This is the man who initially misunderstood Jesus' mission so badly that he actually objected to Christ going to the cross. A man who fled from Jesus the night before he died and then called down curses on himself to deny any association with Jesus Christ, to avoid having to talk about him at all. Peter needed the bottomless grace of God and Jesus gave it to him because despite Peter's objection, Jesus went to the cross anyway. And despite Peter's abandonment, Jesus stuck to his mission of taking away the sin of the world. And despite Peter's denials, Jesus rose for him on Easter Sunday. And after he did, he sat with St. Peter on a seashore and personally, graciously called him back into the fold of the disciples. Peter had experienced firsthand the grace 
of God in Christ. To say the least, Jesus had gone to great lengths to save St. Peter. And now, St. Peter was willing to go to great lengths to get that message to as many other human beings as he possibly could. He was even willing to go to the lengths of his own life. So what Peter does in this story is unbelievable unless you believe what Peter believed. Then it makes perfect sense. And then you will do the same. But first, you do have to come to the very difficult point of believing, as St. Peter did, that you are totally dependent on the grace of God in Christ. This is a very difficult truth for human beings to accept, but it is not difficult to find it on the pages of Scripture. It is all over the place that every human being is sinful, and for our sin, we deserve hell. Not a timeout, not a strict talking to, not a scolding. Hell is what we deserve for our sin. And then you also have to believe, like St. Peter, that despite who you are, and despite what you had coming to you, God the Father loved you anyway. And he went to the greatest possible lengths to save you from your sin by giving the most precious thing of all, his own son. That's how far the father had to go, and he did not hold back. That was the only sacrifice great enough to satisfy his justice and to cover over our sin. He had to give his own dear son, and he did not hold him back. And when Jesus came into this world, he did not hold back for you either. He went through hell for you on the cross, in your place. You can't go any farther for someone than that. He fought against death and the devil for you. You can't fight any harder or take on nastier opponents than that. Jesus Christ went to the greatest possible lengths to deliver us from hell to heaven. And so has God the Holy Spirit. He has come into our hearts again and again with this precious good news of God's love in Christ. He has come to us in a variety of ways. Word, water, bread, and wine. He comes patiently, kindly, gently, to convince us that God's grace in Christ is real and it is for us. You and I were dead meat in our sin and God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit did everything, went to the greatest possible lengths to save us. That is what St. Peter believed. And because he did, he was willing to go to the lengths of his own life to get that message to as many people as he could. We believe that too, so we will also go to great lengths, to get that message far and wide so the Holy Spirit can reach more hearts and save more souls. So, for example, the next time you are saying your prayers, in addition to all of the other things that you are thanking God for and asking Him for, you will go to the greater length of asking God to put wings on the words of a missionary who is proclaiming Jesus' gospel. You may even go so far as to do a little research so you can pray for a missionary by name. You might even write a letter to his family to encourage them in their work. You might revisit how far you could go in supporting that work financially with the money that God has given to you. You'll go to the lengths of sitting down and giving serious thought to the people that you come across in your daily life who might not know what Jesus has done for them. And think about what you could do, what you could say 
to try to get the gospel message into their ears. You will help when your congregation is planning an event to try to make friends with the folks across the way so that maybe someday they could come in here and learn about all that God has done to save them. See, these are all things that Christians are pretty unlikely to do if they lose sight of the fact that they were completely lost without God's grace in Christ and that they needed God to go to the greatest lengths to save them. On the other hand, Christians are much more likely to do these kinds of things when they know and believe and appreciate the lengths that God has gone to to save them. And as we do these things, we need to trust God to bless our efforts. Just after Jesus ascended into heaven, Peter and the other disciples were standing on top of a mountain, and this was a really ragtag group of men. Probably not much formal education, probably not much money, definitely not professional orators or teachers, although they had spent the last three years learning from the best who ever lived. But Jesus told them what to do. Take the message out. Start here and then go out to the world and God will bless it. Just a few days later on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came to them and gave them the power to do it. They went out with the message and God did bless it. Within just three generations, that gospel message had reached all the way east to India and probably even southwest China, all the way down to Somalia and Ethiopia, all the way over to Spain. Within three centuries, it was the dominant faith of the Western Hemisphere. And within five, it had fanned all the way north to Scandinavia and Northern Ireland and Iceland. They went to the greatest lengths they could, and God blessed their efforts. Don't ever think that the work you put in for this is wasted. I know it seems that way sometimes when you don't see results, you don't see results as quickly as you want to. The Holy Spirit never wastes the proclamation of the gospel. He always uses it to achieve what he desires. So remember how far you needed God to go to save you and remember that he did. Now go to great lengths to get that message out. Trust that God is going to bless your work. Be thoughtful, be ambitious, and go as far as you can for the one who went so far for you. Amen.